Hey, it's Bobby Bones. Hey, I just want to say thanks to everybody who has stepped up for the St. Jude kids. St. Jude's doing incredible work fighting childhood cancer. And because of donations, like the ones that you get, families never receive a bill ever from St. Jude for treatment, travel, housing, food, none of that. Help St. Jude stop childhood cancer. Become a partner in hope. Get this awesome new This Shirt Saves Lives shirt. It's going to look great on you. So join all the doctors, researchers, and me in this fight. All right, text the word Bobby. It's only six numbers to 785-833. Again, text the word Bobby to just these six numbers, 785-833. This is the year to stop overpaying for your family plan. So choose a straight talk wireless family plan. Unlimited data, talk, and text on a reliable 5G network. And you can get a new line starting at $25 per line per month for four lines, plus taxes and fees and no contracts. That's good decision-making. Available at Walmart and on straighttalk.com. Family plan discount with four lines, all on the silver unlimited plan. Not combinable with auto pay discount. In times of traffic, your data may be temporarily slower than other traffic. Video streams at up to 480p. Willie Nelson, Waylon Jennings, Chris Christopherson, you know, before they were legends of outlaw country, they were lost souls looking for their sound. Don't miss Mandy Moore and the new scripted audible original, The Boar's Nest, Sue Brewer and the birth of outlaw country music. Discover the true untold story of the extraordinary woman behind the rise of outlaw country music and its biggest stars. Hear how one woman's vision in her tiny living room, far from Nashville's music row, became the epicenter of a musical movement. Mandy Moore as Sue Brewer in The Boar's Nest. Listen now at audible.com slash The Boar's Nest. Love this guy, Breland. Episode 345. This song. Uh, I just can't get out of my head. If I hear it once, it just, it just lives there. These Jordans, you can say you hate me. You can call me crazy, but don't touch my truck. Breland, born Daniel Breland, 1995, grew up in Burlington, New Jersey. Highly musical family. His parents are both ministers and led worship at church. You know, we talk about all of that here, obviously. I think I lead with what do your friends call you? Because I think I asked him that in person. I was like, hey, what? I said, hey, you're Breland. He's like, yeah. I said, what? Like, what do people? I don't know what to do whenever it's like a stage name. That's always a bit weird because sometimes people don't go by it in real life, and yeah. sometimes they do. But he does. You hear him talk about that. So just love the guy. Love the guy's energy. Ah, just. Super smart, where to the point I was pretty tired coming into this one, and I kind of felt. And occasionally, this happens with a writer, almost never an artist, which is funny. But I mean, the guy does it all, and he comes in, and he's just. I mean, he's using words only reading books. Yeah. And I'm like, oh crap, I got to really dial in on this one because this guy's really smart. Definitely one of the smartest people we've ever had on the podcast. Yeah, yeah. There was a situ- there's a meme where a guy's playing a video game, and you know he's. Uh, like sitting up and then all of a sudden he's leaning forward. It oh, yeah. means he's like focused in. It's like a drawing. And so the guy's sitting back just playing a video game. And, but, you know, when it's serious time, he leans forward to start playing the video game. There was a point where, and I know I'm talking about a meme out loud, there's a point where I had to lean forward to play the video game with Breland. <laughs> and I was like, oh, crap. All right, he means business and in a good way. But I hope you like this. I encourage you to check him out, at Breland on Instagram, TikTok, Twitter. Got the same name everywhere. And so here we go. Breland, everybody. I guess you and I first met New Year's Eve. So yeah, it was Big Bash. You know a song I, I guess I, I didn't discover you, but what song I found you when I found you was My Truck, which is yeah. such a great song. Uh, thanks, bro. Mike, can you play some of that for me? Don't touch my truck. So, New Year, and you've been working with Nada. Yep. 
And so you kind of always been in the orbit. And then I mm-hmm. saw you, and I think the first thing I said was, hey, what did, what do I call you? Because, yeah. you know, some people, they have like a stage name. Yeah. For example, Kid Rock, who I'm not friends with Kid Rock or anything, but I know him a little bit. And it's, he's always like, uh, just call me Bob. And I'm like, that feels weird. That's feel weird. Yeah, because it's that you've been Kid Rock. So Breland, is that that's your last name? It is my last name. It's what do your friends surname. call you? Uh, a lot of my friends call me Breland. Uh, pretty much anyone that I've been friends with for longer than 10 years has other forms of nicknames. Uh, but yeah, anyone that I've, that I've met in the past since then, I've just been going by Breland. So if I met you and it was completely out of the music world, you would yeah. just say, Hey, I'm Breland. Yeah. Or Bree. Really? Yeah. So, so even Bree. So then it goes down a notch. It could even get shortened to yeah, B, bro. Bump. Bump. <laughs> bump. Yeah. I could break it down anatomically, bro. How long have you lived in Nashville? I've been here a little over a year and a half. So new to town. Yeah. To pretty, have success, of. well, a year and a half. Yeah. I mean, I have friends that have been here 10 years and just now, like, are just now starting to pop a little bit. And What's the fastest anyone's ever gotten on a Bobby cast? Anyone ever done it under diff- two? But different, re- yeah, I don't know. Different reasons, though, because sometimes we'll, what do you think, Mike? Maybe a year? Maybe. Maybe. But who, so, who came here in a year? Well, I'll tell you what happened, though. So when I would work on American Idol, in the... Right when they would win or lose, yeah. if they would be here for something, I would say, hey, come over to the house. Okay, Not the same. That's what I'm saying, so not fair. Okay. Of people specifically nice. in the country now, music I like world. What, I like how you're thinking and how you're talking. It's Let's, you. It's going to be you yeah. as far as you got here on your own merit that had nothing to do with any relationship you and I had. Right. You win. Okay, bring in the trophy, guys. Come on. Yeah, thank you, guys. Yes, that's that's really all I came here to was to acknowledge <laughs> that. You know. <laughs> so it is you, and it's, it's remarkable kind of in that year and a half. Not that you've been working on music far longer than that but to move here and to actually have people i guess the hardest thing is to get people to respect you yeah in that short amount of time because everybody goes well they haven't been here long enough you've hit and you've hit hard and it's really cool to see so congratulations on that thanks man when you moved down what was the move like for you because it doesn't seem like you were 17 filling up you know the mom's old volkswagen no like um, a lot of people do yeah i guess in a lot of ways you know, I've been doing this for the 10 years that people usually come here and start doing it. I just wasn't doing most of it here. Uh, I was doing a lot of it in Atlanta and then um, was in college in D.C. before that. But uh, moving here during the pandemic, like August of 2020, uh, I only knew a few people. I only had a few relationships, but I did have a record deal and I did have a viral song at the time. So it wasn't like a start from scratch situation. I think it was like, a. I know I want to move to Nashville because I want to be involved in everything that's going on in country music. I can't do that as effectively from Atlanta. And I was every time I came to Nashville over the course of that year, first time I came out was working on the My Truck Remix with Sam Hunt. He introduced me to a bunch of his friends. We hit it off. Uh, came back out here in June to work with Keith. And we ended up doing two songs for his album. And it was like... I was like, yo, every time I come out here, I get like a, <laughs> a major cut. I think I need to just move to Nashville officially. <laughs> uh, and, you know, it was, it was a good decision. And it was also a time in history that all the artists were, you know, not touring. So everyone was home. So I was able to form a lot of relationships a lot faster than you normally would be able to. Because if somebody's out on the road for eight months out of the year, you might not catch them until a whole year. And I was able to catch people within those first few months. Now that you tell that part of it, I'm a little wrong in how I remember this. So I knew my truck, but I didn't know by the name or the face, right? I knew yeah. it because I'd heard it. Yeah. Where I first heard from you by somebody talking about you was I was at Keith Urban's house. Okay. 
and it was before the record came out, and he was like, and I don't remember the song, but it was a very active song. Yeah, Out the Cage. Okay, that's it's it. Called Out the oh, Cage. Oh, yeah, and it's one of those where he would he'd sit up, and he'd go, okay. And he'd make me sit in the back of the room. Yeah. Just, just him and I at his house. Maybe sit in the back of the room. He'd be like, all right. He won't look at me. Yeah. Because I want to play this song. And he said, and Breland's on this song. And I thought at that point that you were he, you were somebody that I was supposed to know and you had been like famous for like 25 years. How yeah, he was like, talking about you. Because he was like, he's so good. Can you believe I got him? And I was like, <laughs> uh, I know, man. I can't believe you got him. <laughs> and you have no idea. I had no idea. And you weren't supposed to know at that but time. But that, that's where it was. It was Keith Urban going, yeah. this guy is so good. And I just assumed that you were like some classic rock, you know, vocalist. Yeah, not at all. And then it came out, you were you. And I was like, dang, okay, this guy's got a lot of people to respect, you know, in a short amount of time. But that just goes to, you know, your credit, how good of an artist, how good of a writer you are as well. When you go to college in D.C., what did yeah. you go to school to do? Um, I went to Georgetown. I was a marketing and management double major in the to business do, to school. To do what, though? Dude, I, I knew I wanted to do music. I just knew that most of the artists that I look up to are multi-hyphenates and have a bunch of different entrepreneurial ventures. And so I was like, if I can understand business, I already understand how to make music. But there's plenty of talented people that don't get to that next level, whatever that next level is, if they can't. I mean, look at what you've done, dude. Over the past 10 years is, is incredible. You've turned radio into TV, film, a whole enterprise that if you didn't have, you know, a business acumen, you know, you, you wouldn't have been able to become the Bobby Bones that we all know today. I look up to people who have that perspective and I wanted to make sure that I could understand how to move in the industry as both a business person and as a creative. Were you learning business in regards to I'm going to learn business about the music industry. It wasn't music industry it? specific, okay. but what it was is just literally understanding how to carry yourself in a room, understanding the the basic principles of negotiation, understanding how to read a contract, understanding uh, you know how to market yourself as a business, how to market a business, how to market yourself. Um, Social media, even as as a thing that they're starting to teach in schools, and you yeah. know it's important. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's just trying to literally establish myself as both a young entrepreneur and a songwriter artist. When when did you musically kind of grow at a different rate than your peers? At what age was it? Junior or high school? It could be college. Yeah. But when did it, when did the separation start to be where it's not? I'm so good, but. Oh, I'm actually, because I work and I'm building on this skill set, I'm actually mm -hmm. better than my peers are. Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, I, I would say probably at some point in, in college, but even really probably after college. Because I, I think a lot of it came from ours. You know, I, the, vocally and, and musically, I think I've always had an ear that was probably a little bit ahead of my peers, but in terms of being able to show it or present it in some way, whether on the songwriting side or even vocally on a song or as a performer. Um, I don't know if I really established that until college or maybe even after college. And that just came from putting in an incredible amount of hours. Were you not a musical kid in high school? I was a musical but, but, kid. Like but they knew you, number one is what? I would say people on, people on my high school campus probably knew me as, as a singer. But I can't say that I was head and shoulders better than other people who were singing. Like I wasn't like just getting every solo in, in choir or anything. I was 
it was like, he can sing, but also these four other people can sing. Where did the confidence come from then to go and learn the, I'm going to call them secondary for the sake of this conversation, Yeah. the secondary traits you need for a music career. Yeah. If you're not already better than everybody musically, like mm-hmm. there's got to be some confidence yeah. that's somewhere inside of you. Yeah. Where did that come from if you weren't just dominant at 16? Yeah. Uh, it's almost like sometimes I look at it. I know you're like an Arkansas, Arkansas basketball fan. I think sometimes in basketball you have players that are already good, but they continue to get better, like an Alex Caruso or somebody like that, where they might go undrafted, play in the G League, make a team, and then all of a sudden they're starting, and you're like, wow, this person's really good. It's because they just kept working really hard. And what I knew from a really young age, I wasn't going to be the tallest kid. I was. My parents always told me, you're never going to be just automatically the best at anything, but you can work harder than anyone else. And if you can control your effort and your work ethic and your discipline, that will take you further than the talent ever really could. And so it's not to say that I don't have the talent, but I think the confidence just came from me understanding that I'm hungry for it. It was a passion of mine. I love music. I've always loved music. I was like, you know, my parents sing in a a gospel choir, grew up around singers. I'm like, this is what I want to do. And I'm going to figure out a way to do it, even if it's not obvious and even if it doesn't come quickly. I get offended, and it's dumb for me to get offended when people say I'm talented because I don't feel like I'm talented. And I feel like that takes away from the amount of work that I've put in to what I've done because I don't feel like I have a natural skill set, right? And to hear you say that, I start to go... I start to feel a little bit of what I say when I'm like, dude, and I'm not projecting this onto you at all, but to hear you speak like that and the hours that go into it and the work, people will go, ah, man, look at that. You've got a, you've got a real talent. I'm like, you have no idea. Don't you dare say I'm talented because <laughs> I've had to work. Yeah. I feel like that pulls away from the, and it's not fair for me to feel that way. And so it's that line of when talent and potential and hard work, kind of the Venn yeah. diagram even of where they all, right. where they all cross. Mm-hmm. Like if someone just said, "Wow, you are so talented. You got here because you does that does that irritate you at all? Would it? It doesn't irritate me because I I look at intent. So the intent of them saying that is oh I don't I'm I'm so shallow. <laughs> I don't look yeah. at any intent. I think the intent yeah. behind that statement is, you know, they are are giving you a compliment. It's meant to be positive. Nobody who hasn't you know I don't really know if anyone who hasn't actually done this knows what goes into being able to do this at this level. Or, or in this amount of time or ever, you know, so I, I don't expect them to be able to say, wow, you're clearly talented and have worked hard and have avoided making certain types of mistakes. That's what I want. Bro. I have, want them to say all and, that and have aligned yourself <laughs> with the right people. And, and you know, the, they found favor with you. Like you can't, there's a lot that goes into this. I feel like I'm in a therapy session now, Mike, and I'm getting it. <laughs> it's like, you should stop being like that and understand what they mean. Hey, I'm just saying, it, you know, People, it's always intent, you know. Now somebody could be like, "All you have is talent." Then, then I'm like, "Okay, mm-hmm. the intent behind that is different." We might respond differently. Growing up with parents that performed, mm-hmm. did they want you to stay away from performance because they had really spent a lot of time seeing that it's not as glamorous as it seems? Yeah, I mean, they both they they tried when I was a kid to do music professionally, and they put together a couple projects that. Uh, you know, didn't really make the waves that they thought it would. And I watched them struggle to get these albums and in the songs world, in the Christian world, uh, you know, and just didn't really materialize. And I also think, you know, having kids, they had to prioritize 
the jobs that were paying them. Uh, so I, I don't know if they were ever like, don't do it, but they were also like, get get an education and make sure that it, you can learn other skills that can be applied different places if it doesn't work out, you know. But um, I don't know if they discouraged me from from pursuing it so much as be cautious and and understand that it's a small percentage of people that do it. And if you're going to do it, it's going to be because you were supposed to do it. And so talented. You're only going to make it if you're so talented. It's all about the talent, bro. It's It's 100% talent, talent, 0% anything else, baby. So you go to college. Did you graduate? I did. Nice. When you moved to Atlanta, Mm -hmm. did you have anyone there that said, hey, come on, I'll kind of lead you through this town? Yes, yes. Um, You know, the, the, the true story behind that is that I was working under a producer that was very adamant about me only being a songwriter. And uh, I say that because when I first met him, I was I was like, I'm a songwriter artist. And he was like, you're not an artist. You don't have what it takes to be an artist. You're just a songwriter. And over time, I realized that he really just wanted to be able to control what it was that I was doing. And if I was able to tap into my artistry, it would become something that he couldn't control as easily. Uh, and so, told you that someone literally said you're not. Yeah, good he enough. said you're not an artist. You don't have it. He um, li- he said you don't have it. Yes. Wow. He said you don't have it. And and this is someone in Atlanta who, you know, has won a few Grammys. He's had number ones. He's had success over a long amount of time so i trusted his judgment do you believe he believed you didn't have it no okay i do not believe that he believed i didn't have it because as soon as it happened he was like switched up quick like i always knew you had it like you didn't say that (laughs) (laughs) you definitely didn't say that so uh you know i guess just kind of being in atlanta also put me on to different types of personalities that exist in the music industry there are people that want to help you genuinely and then there are people that want to take advantage of you and if you're not discerning you could mistake one for the other and so i thought this is someone that prides himself publicly on mentorship uh and and having apprentices and and people being able to go on and have successful careers outside of him but he was actively doing the opposite in my relationship with him and so i thought he was trying to help me as it turned out it was more of a predatory business relationship. So, how do you see that and what do you do once it sets in that this is not something that's healthy? Yeah, when you I mean, I think in any situation once you discover that that person doesn't have your best interest. But what told you? I mean, like some there had to be something to trigger it's that. It was though, a couple right? it was a couple things like, you, you know, don't have to be specific. Uh, I just yeah, wondered it, how it, you find it. Couple couple things, you know, I I first brought my truck in and was like, "Hey, this is a song that I wrote as a demo and I would like to put it out. And he was like, I hate it. It sucks. Like you got to go back to doing what you were doing before. I told you already, you're not an artist. And I was like, just didn't sit right with me. You know, that was a, that was a red flag because I had already posted a snippet on Instagram and people loved it. You know, I was like, I think people like this song, you know? And so I put it out anyway, a couple months later, it starts to go viral on TikTok. And he was the first one to be like, those numbers don't mean anything. It doesn't matter. And I'm like, even with data, he was saying. even with the data. So I was like, bro, like <laughs> you're, you're literally not you're not acknowledging a thing that I've done. And if you can't champion my success outside of you, then you aren't championing me at all. Uh, and and being able to recognize some of those red flags of 
of things that I had even maybe overlooked or ignored over the past few years before that ultimately is part of what brought me to Nashville is I was like, I would like a, a fresh start. Uh, I'm an artist. I want to be around people that can respect me as an artist. And when you talk at the beginning of this conversation about, you know, being able to garner that respect, that's that's what I came here for. I came here to be able to pursue this thing and have the support in the city and, and among my peers of, of feeling like I can actually do this. I guess the last question I'll ask about your time in Atlanta is why if someone believed that you could provide something, did they not scoop it up themselves? Meaning mm-hmm. if if I were a producer, owned a record label, I don't even yeah. know who the guy was. Um, I don't know if there was a guy. I'm also yeah. a he. There was a guy. Okay. Why would he not, if he believed in you, go, hey, I'd like to sign you myself. Like, I believe in you. Why don't we do a development? So he yeah. did have that without investing yeah. a lot into it. It, it, it comes down to it comes down to mindset and also just how good of a business person are you? He, he fumbled the bag, <laughs> truth be told. But also, in a lot of ways, it comes down to mindset. So uh, you can operate in life with a scarcity mindset or you can operate from an abundance mindset. When you operate from a scarcity mindset, you make decisions like the types of decisions that he made, uh, which is like you, you operate very selfishly. Uh, and when you operate from an abundance mindset, it's like, hey, there's there are a lot of resources here for everyone to be able to win. And then you provide opportunities for people for them to be able to get their own. So if you're creating opportunities for people and, and genuinely want to see them succeed, then, you know, it's a different type of perspective than the people who are like, no, everything has to come back to me. Um, so I think ultimately it was just a difference in mindset. Do you ever dream melodies? I've definitely woken up with melodies in my head and sing pretty constantly. My sister is always like, we flew out to London a few weeks ago and she was like, the whole flight, she's like, can you stop singing like all the time? Because the whole seven hours of the flight, I'm humming melodies based on whatever the last thing I heard was and then just building new chords out in my mind. The only other person, I say other, because you told that story. I'm going to name drop and I don't do that a lot, but it's a really cool story. I was staying in a house. I went to watch the Masters golf tournament with uh, my friend. This is not the name drop, but uh, Andy Roddick, who was a professional tennis player, mm-hmm. used to be really good. And we had a guy with us who was staying in the house, and he would not stop humming, would not stop. It was always a melody. Was he good? It was John Legend. Okay. And it, w- <laughs> it, never, st- it never stopped. Yeah. And it went from, wow, this never stops, to okay, this must be just something that exists in him all the time. Yeah. And it's, it's probably part of what separates him from other really good people. You know, yeah. there's really good, then there's great, then there's really great. Right. And I think it's probably the fact that it was constant. It's constant. And I wonder about people like yourself, like John Legend, that are so musical, if you can turn it off. I can't really turn it off. And, uh, you know, from a... From a, from a lyric perspective and from a melody perspective, I'm always working on something, whether I even know it or not. I, I won't even know that I'm singing and someone will be like, dude, you're still singing. And then I'll think about it. I'm like, oh, I've been singing different versions of this melody for the last two hours straight. But I'll be doing something else. I'll be having a conversation, eating a meal, doing something. But in the back of my mind and oftentimes audibly, I'm humming something, singing something. I just... I- We've talked about this too, Mike and I have, where we need an app where, because I will write comedy music, and the problem is, I subconsciously, I don't know what I heard. I don't know who made, who said something funny. 
I don't know what melody I've heard, so I need a nap that I can turn on and go, ma ba ba da ba Yeah. And then, does that match? Nope. Okay. Well, they kind of have something like that, like to see whether you're on top of another melody like, that exists. Teachers can use whenever a kid is turning in a paper, right? Or a, to we'll check say, plagiarism. We'll yes. Mm-hmm. And so I often worry that I'm going to not know. And I have other friends that are artists, and I'm like, Luke Combs, for example, I was talking to him a couple of days ago. And I was like, now that everybody is so litigious, mm-hmm. and there's only so many notes, so many chords, yeah. how in the world... Because as you get bigger, yeah. there are more eyes on it and more For ears sure. on it. And all of a sudden, you're matching a lot more folks now that right. Dan and Shay just went through it. I know. It's $10,000. I, I don't know. I would say this. As a creator, again, it comes down to intent. We know that there are a certain amount of notes you know, in, in Western music. You go into like semitones in, in, in a lot of Eastern music that opens things well, you're up. You're going to need to use those more. Yeah, we, get, like we just got to get into the semitones. But... You know, in terms of the the thirteen notes that we have access to, like we're gonna be on top of other melodies. Like, if, especially if there's a you know only maybe four or six chords that you have. Like in most songs, there's only three or four chords. So the types of melodies that I write over those chords, and the type of melodies that someone else who writes songs writes over those chords, is gonna be very similar because we're probably both drawing from the same knowledge base of hey these are the types of melodies that work we all know a catchy melody when we hear one we've all we've all been influenced by the hit songs of of yesterday so you're gonna be on top of melody sometimes now i think there are times where that needs to be looked into but i also think that it happens by accident i think it just happens by virtue of there only being but so many notes and there has to be a better way for us to figure out Intent. Yeah, intent's tricky because then intent, you can lie about intent. And I think, I just, I'm thinking very selfishly about this conversation because I, I do it with jokes too. Mm-hmm. Where I will have, I'm like, I that's the funniest concept. Let me write a punchline. I'll send it to Mike. I'm like, is this funny? And he's like, well, you could do this. Well, what kind of work on a joke? Mm-hmm. And then, and I'm like, oh, I got to Google it. I'll Google, and there's already a similar joke. Right. And but it's, it's like, like, did I steal, did I hear it somewhere? Maybe, or maybe you just had a similar experience Absolutely. as the other person who did it, and you both acknowledge this is funny. I agree. And I, at times, would do a little exercise with myself before a talk show host would do a monologue. I would go, okay, what are the things that I would do a joke about right here? Mm-hmm. And quickly, what would the half joke be? To and I would match mm-hmm. most of the times, like what the material or what the joke kind of would be. Mm-hmm. So I do think like-minded people that are pursuing a like-minded goal, meaning a joke, right. you know, punch and laughter, coming from a like-minded situation, produce likely results. Yeah. So, but I just don't know if my subconscious catches it and it's sitting yeah. up here at times and I do accidentally steal it mm-hmm. or I just happen to have the same idea. I just wish there was something I could do that to in my An phone. An app would be great. Yeah. They do. do that. For, You're for, like the smartest guy I've met, so do that. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, let's, we'll... we'll We'll work on the app. We'll work on the app. Do you have insurance? I have insurance. Bob Breland. Oh, ooh, I'd call it. I probably I call it probably Bobland or something. Bobland. I take, take the front of it, even though I'm doing nothing. Boneland. Yeah. Oh, that sounds like that's a, not yeah, great. That's not yeah, one. it's not. That's a tough one. <laughs> you, uh, I have insurance. My business manager made me get insurance in case I accidentally steal something. Yep. Everyone you, needs songwriter insurance. Is that something that you you have? It's literally something that in the past 
few weeks has become a conversation. Oh, really? Yeah. I just got put onto this like a month ago. Someone was like, you need Songwriters insurance. I was forced upon it. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, wait, is that a real thing? And they're like, no, seriously. Because the truth is, it does happen by accident. When I got sued by Bob Dylan, I was like, I cannot believe. You shouldn't be able to get sued by any Bobs. Nah. Oh, okay. That's true. <laughs> That's true. In every pair of Tacova's boots, you can expect handmade quality, first wear comfort, and timeless Western style. A great pair of Western boots will elevate a casual look or add a refined flair that'll draw both eyes and compliments. Tacova's boots are always made from premium bovine and exotic leathers, and with occasional resoling, they'll last a lifetime. The best way to shop for boots is at your local Tacova store, where you'll be greeted by the smell of fresh leather and a friendly smile. Come on in, grab a cold one, get fitted by a pro, and shop the latest styles. They offer custom branding and leather stamping if you want to personalize your boots or fine leather goods. And stay cool in short-sleeve moisture-wicking pearl snap or make your own shade with one of their classic straw hats, new in both men's and women's styles. And if you're planning to hit the road, Tacova's ever-growing lineup of rugged and full-grain leather bags will get you where you're headed in style and are built to last decades. Visit tacovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. Tacovas.com. And don't go gently, y'all. Willie Nelson, Waylon Jennings, Chris Christopherson, how do the biggest names in outlaw country start a musical revolution? Through one woman's vision from one tiny living room. Don't miss Mandy Moore as Sue Brewer in the new scripted audible original, The Boar's Nest, Sue Brewer and the Birth of Outlaw Country Music. Discover the true untold story of the extraordinary woman behind the outlaw country music movement and its biggest stars. Brewer shaped the sound and soul of country music as we know it today, despite never picking up an instrument herself. Lovingly dubbed as the Boar's Nest, Sue's place was an intimate staging ground where a new breed of singer-songwriters, wounded souls, wayward upstarts. That's where they would spur each other and tap into something bigger and something realer. Starring Mandy Moore and featuring Eben Moss Backrack as Shel Silverstein and TJ Osborne as Johnny Cash alongside a full ensemble cast. Audible invites you to enter the Boar's Nest and experience the rise of a musical revolution. One woman, one time, one place. The Boar's Nest. Sue Brewer and the birth of outlaw country music. Listen now at audible.com slash the boar's nest. Hey, it's Bobby Bones. I just want to say thanks to everybody who has stepped up for the kids at St. Jude. St. Jude's been leading the way in the world's best survival rates for some of the most aggressive forms of childhood cancer. Your support means that families never get a bill from St. Jude for treatment or travel or housing or food. So the families can focus on helping their child live. And that really hits home for me because I've been to St. Jude many times. I've hung out with the kids, played music for the kids. I was in the hospital a lot as a kid. Now, I didn't have cancer, but if it wasn't for people stepping up, I don't know that I would have been able to go and stay in the hospital and be taken care of. So that's why we do this, take care of others. You can help St. Jude stop childhood cancer by becoming a partner in hope. When you do this, you'll get this awesome new This Shirt Saves Lives shirt. So join all the doctors and researchers, you know, and me in this fight and just text the word Bobby to 785-833. It's only six numbers, but text the word Bobby to 785-833. So growing up, you go to Georgetown, very prestigious. Are you one of the, I'm going to use a word that can be used in a lot of different ways. Are you one of the smarter kids at that school that is known for just brilliant minds? Hmm. And I don't. I need you to drop your humble hat here. No, because, okay. I, I mean, no. I, I I would answer it straight up. I would answer it straight up. I I think that there's different forms of intelligence. I think that I am 
in the school, in the system. It, ac- strictly academically, yeah. I was not one of the smartest kids in the school. And I asked I that, do believe that I may have been one of the smartest kids in the school if you look at, like, holistic, but we're not, academically we're, yes, not. we're not looking at that. No. I'm reading a book now where they talk about kids that go into a big pond and they're smart at their own school. Yeah. And, but they go into a big pond and they meet that heavy resistance for the first time. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it is far more detrimental to them mm-hmm. than if they were to go into a smaller medium pond. Right. A school system. Like Georgetown to me is massive pond. Yeah, it's a big pond. Smartest of the smartest kids come yeah. from all over the country. And I want, when you say that academically, maybe you weren't at the top. No. Did that at all make you question yourself and the intelligence that you had? I think it it forced me to have to defend my position and my position now is the same position that I had as a freshman. Like I almost failed accounting class and my parents who had seen me do so well throughout grade school and and high school were like, what's the deal? Like, what's the deal with accounting? And I was like, the deal is that I can really only be good at things that I care about. I can't dedicate mental energy to something that I don't value. And when did you understand that was what made you work? Meaning, yeah, I understood that in high school, really. Um, the and- difference is that I was motivated by getting into a good college, so I cared about all of it. By the time I got to college, I was like, I care about being successful in the music industry. That's interesting. So, a, a little, so what got you to college is your interest in getting to college. Right. Actually, once you got to college, mm-hmm. you were already there and you didn't want to continue. You kind of took a hard pivot in that journey. Right. By getting to where you were going. Yep. That's interesting because you didn't care about academics as much once you got to the academic place. Yeah, not really. I, at that point, I was like, all right, well, what's what's the thing that's going to happen after college? And are my grades and performance here in college going to determine the trajectory of that? And knowing that it was music, I was like, no, it's, it probably won't. So then what can I be spending my time on that's going to be more productive for the thing that I actually want to do? And I was like, all right, well, I'm going to try to write two songs a day and record them. Yeah, by myself. What would you do? You're in college. What's your apartment look like or your house? Yeah, I was in a dorm, bro. I was was just in a room. I had a setup, a focus right, and a laptop. I was recording vocals out of initially FL Studio and then eventually Pro Tools. I had a little, like, Mike, that was like... What can you play? What were you doing music? Like guitar, keys? What were you um, doing? I could play a little keys, but I, I also was, was sourcing a lot of tracks off of like YouTube and from different producers that were trying to see if they could get cuts and just trying to form relationships with people. I had a couple producer friends who would send over tracks or just chord loops, and I would literally just run through them, you know, a couple a day. But how did you know to do... Th- Where did that knowledge come from? Um, someone... I had read somewhere that that Kanye was making like five beats a summer for like ten summers. Sorry, five, five beats, beats a day. day for like a certain amount of summers. Uh, or I forget exactly what the number was, but it was a number that I was like, "Whoa, I'm nowhere close to that number." So I was like, "If I want to be able to do this," and I'd also seen a couple different songwriters being like, "You should write a song a day and challenge yourself to, you know, just work at that level." And so I was like, "All right, cool, I'll do that." So like my end of my set. End of my freshman year, sophomore year, I was like, I'm going to try to write and record a song a day. And then junior, senior year, I was like, two songs a day, three songs a day. You recorded as well? 
You do it both? Yeah. Yeah. So I was doing like, you know, I, I took some engineering classes and. What happened to all this content? Uh, it's, it's on a hard drive you somewhere. I've got hundreds. I've got thousands of songs from, from college that have never been cut and won't, they won't, they're not even cuttable. I wasn't, it wasn't at an industry standard, but. But can't you go back now and refresh them? Not even refresh, but maybe be, boy, inspired is not even the word I'm looking for, but I, I just feel like even anything that I've written a long time ago, mm-hmm. and it may, I mean, it may be, you know, so elementary as to what, listen, what I do now deserves no prize. But I can go, I understand what I was trying to say then, even though I didn't quite understand what I was trying to say. Yeah. And, and this sounds terrible, but I can almost inspire me. Yeah. Like me from back then, before I had these things, at times I have to go meet up with that person again sometimes. Yeah. I think the, the key, and, and it depends on how you do it along the way, is to, Keith has, has put a term to it that I've never forgotten. He, he calls it beginner's mind. He's he's like beginner's mind is when you go into anything and everything with the same childlike curiosity as you would have when you were an actual child. And I think sometimes as an adult, we get so in the weeds on different things that we're doing and we're so focused on what the world says we need to focus on as an adult that we don't appreciate and we lose the gratitude and the the wonder and amazement that we have for the little things. And I've tried to, and naturally already lean this way, but I've made a conscious effort even recently to stay tapped in to the 10-year-old version of me that sang a solo at church and the 15-year-old version of me that started a YouTube channel and the 19-year-old version of me that decided I wanted to write a song every single day. I've tried not to stray too far from that because that's the that is the core of the thing. The music industry you have to wear a lot of different hats and I've definitely developed a lot of skills and in a lot of different areas, but if I ever lose sight of that person, then I've lost sight of everything. That's the challenge. That is the challenge. I, I mean, it's the challenge for me because I need to be reminded at times because one you can get very jaded mm-hmm. here. I need to be reminded I still need to be hungry, even though I'm not hungry anymore. Yeah. You know, I grew up and literally I was hungry. Mm-hmm. Figuratively, yeah. I, was, I was hungry. Mm-hmm. And I kind of need to remind myself of that and what got me to a place to kind of be redriven at times once I'm so jaded. Yeah. Well, I guess the question of how do you motivate yourself once you've accomplished a lot of your goals, right? Like you've had. The number one. But none of that matters. I, number ones do nothing. You know what motivates me? Not living in the trailer park again. Okay. There, there, yeah, I mean, and that's what I have to go yeah. and, and sometimes reinvest myself in. Like, why am I doing this? I don't do it for all the highs. I do yeah. it so I can run the freaking lows. For sure. And I also think, you know, at least in my situation, I'm sure you have these two. It helps if you also have a mission statement. So... For me, my mission statement right now as an artist is that I want to help make country music more inclusive. I want to inspire people who don't listen to country music and write it off as a thing that's not for them. I want to inspire them to to be a part of it and be a part of the community because I think the more diverse country music is, the more country music can interact and, and, and collaborate across the aisle with other genres, the better that is for culture. And so the style of country music that I make 
not traditional, but I would argue that it is still within the format and why I do it the way that I'm doing it is because I'm trying to reach across the aisle and, and make a space that is more reflective of what the world looks like. That's a long Mitch statement. Did you write that down, Mike? That is one, that's a, it's about 45 that's like seconds. A, that's a long one. I don't know if that's going to fit. Let me, let me, so let, me shorten it, let me shorten it to like Go 10 ahead. words. Yeah. I am trying to make country music for everyone. Yeah, it's easier to remember. Yeah, yeah it's quicker, right? I was trying to think of that I should, one versus I should, the other I should have led with that. Yeah, that, that's a good one. You, I think you've, I know you've experienced this far greater than what I did, but I'll give you an example. When I moved to town, I was the guy. Now, it didn't matter that I grew up in a rural town in Arkansas, right. and my life was all country music until I was a teenager. Mm-hmm. But since I worked on hip-hop stations and pop stations and did sports talk and did all mm-hmm. I wasn't country. And I fought it. So I, for, my life was miserable mm. for two and a half, three years. Yeah. Because everywhere I went, I wasn't country. Now, when I was pop, I was too country. Right. Because I didn't fit because I had an accent. Mm-hmm. and but when I came to country, I was too pop. And mm-hmm. so there was just a point where I was like, screw it. And then I just started playing the things that I liked on my own show. Yeah. I was playing hip-hop stuff. I was playing country stuff. I was, you know, And I still do that today, but it's not crazy anymore. Yeah. Because we became successful, and then every other show started to mimic what we were doing. All of a sudden, we went from, this is not us, to, oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It becomes the standard. It, it's the road that people drive on now. Right. So that is what I dealt with for a while here. Yeah. And by your last statement, when you talk about having a more inclusive country music, mm-hmm. that comes from a place of experience, it sounds like. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm assuming that you're getting that now, too, where you're not country. People are saying that Yeah, to you. people definitely will say that I'm not country. Also, it's funny, when you, when you look up Breland on Google, at least for a while, people were like, is Breland a country? <laughs> like oh, like a literal country. country. Breland, like <laughs> Iceland or Greenland or something. Um, but no, I mean... I've never tried to authenticate or validate how country I am because the truth is I'm from New Jersey, from a small town in New Jersey. But at the end of the day, I think that the version of country music that really resonates with me isn't location specific so much as it is, are you telling a true story to your experience or to someone's experience? And if you can express that thought in a way that is both linear and heartfelt, there's country roots in it. And to me, that's the thing that I'm trying to get at more in the music that I'm writing and the music that I'm releasing is let me, let me tell stories. Let me tell my story and let me tell stories that resonate with people, whether or not it's, you know, specifically rural or Southern or, you know, fits checks any of those boxes. It's like, can you can you tell a story and and is that story real for someone or yourself? The answer to that is yes. Then it's country to me. The people that you've spoken about so far that you've worked with, it's funny they've all kind of gone down that similar road. Uh, Keith Urban, yep. Still, even with all of his all of his success, even being Entertainer of the Year, yep. He still gets that. Yeah, Sam. Golly, so much of Of course. But in a lot of ways, like someone saying that it's not country for them is a reflection of their perspective of what country music is. And and it is all perspective. And I, I get into it more than I probably should. And I do consider myself a bit of a historian on country music in general. But any of 
the instruments, even I would say 95% of them, we consider country at one time when they were brought in, for example, uh, making the steel guitar electric. Mm-hmm. That was blasphemy to, to people in country music. Yeah. And the fact. Now it's commonplace. Now it's. So it's traditional or even bluegrass. Right. Now it's so it's mo- commonplace. That it's gotten pushed even further yes. outside and, of the genre. You're looking at country music from the perspective of whatever country music you were introduced to when you were introduced to country music. There are a bunch of kids right now that the version of country music they were introduced to is Florida Georgia Line. But then there's a lot of people who are in their 40s and 50s right now that when Florida Georgia Line started becoming popular, they were like, this isn't country music. You could look at that if you add 15 years to that to when Shania Twain popped off or even before that to when Garth popped off. People will look at all of those things that are now super commonplace and and literally traditional at this point and and look at people who were in the, you know, establishment of country music at that time that pushed back against the change. All I'm saying is I have respect and reverence for country music as a genre, as a lifestyle as a thing that people live and breathe. And I am not trying to take anything away from it. I'm simply trying to add something to it. And if it's not for you, that's okay. There's plenty of people who are making the type of country music that you like, whatever that might be. But I'm making the type of country music that a lot of other people like, whatever that might be. In every pair of Tacova's boots, you can expect handmade quality, first wear comfort, and timeless Western style. A great pair of Western boots will elevate a casual look or add a refined flair that'll draw both eyes and compliments. Tacova's boots are always made from premium bovine and exotic leathers, and with occasional resoling, they'll last a lifetime. The best way to shop for boots is at your local Tacova store, where you'll be greeted by the smell of fresh leather and a friendly smile. Come on in, grab a cold one, get fitted by a pro, and shop the latest styles. They offer custom branding and leather stamping if you want to personalize your boots or fine leather goods. And stay cool in short-sleeve moisture-wicking pearl snap or make your own shade with one of their classic straw hats, new in both men's and women's styles. And if you're planning to hit the road, Tacova's ever-growing lineup of rugged and full-grain leather bags will get you where you're headed in style and are built to last decades. Visit Tacovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. Tacovas.com. And don't go gently, y'all. Willie Nelson, Waylon Jennings, Chris Christopherson... How did the biggest names in outlaw country start a musical revolution? Through one woman's vision from one tiny living room. Don't miss Mandy Moore as Sue Brewer in the new scripted audible original, The Boar's Nest, Sue Brewer and the Birth of Outlaw Country Music. Discover the true untold story of the extraordinary woman behind the outlaw country music movement and its biggest stars. Brewer shaped the sound and soul of country music as we know it today, despite never picking up an instrument herself. Lovingly dubbed as The Boar's Nest, Sue's place was an intimate staging ground where a new breed of singer-songwriters, wounded souls, wayward upstarts, that's where they would spur each other and tap into something bigger and something realer. Starring Mandy Moore and featuring Eben Moss Backrack as Shel Silverstein and T.J. Osborne as Johnny Cash alongside a full ensemble cast. Audible invites you to enter the boar's nest and experience the rise of a musical revolution. One woman, one time, one place. The boar's nest. Sue Brewer and the birth of outlaw country music. Listen now at audible.com slash the boar's nest. Hey, it's Bobby Bones. I just want to say thanks to everybody who has stepped up for the kids at St. Jude. St. Jude's been leading the way in the world's best survival rates for some of the most aggressive forms of childhood cancer. Your support means the families never get a bill from St. Jude for treatment or travel or housing or food. 
so the families can focus on helping their child live. And that really hits home for me because I've been to St. Jude many times. I've hung out with the kids, played music for the kids. I was in the hospital a lot as a kid. Now, I didn't have cancer, but if it wasn't for people stepping up, I don't know that I would have been able to go and stay in the hospital and be taken care of. So that's why we do this, take care of others. You can help St. Jude stop childhood cancer by becoming a partner in hope. When you do this, you'll get this awesome new This Shirt Saves Lives shirt. So join all the doctors and researchers, you know, and me in this fight and just text the word Bobby to 785-833. It's only six numbers, but text the word Bobby to 785-833. The weird thing, too, about people getting upset is that you don't have to listen to it. You don't have to. Yeah, my dude, it's art. You don't have to listen to anything. You don't. Nothing. It doesn't have to be music. Yeah. Any kind of art. Yeah, anything. And if any kind of art stops pushing any direction, it dies. Right. And so if country music were to always stay the same, like some folks would like it to. Right. Although they don't know what they're talking about. If it stayed the same, it would die. Yeah. Because anything that sits in the same place for a long period that of is time a fact. goes away. It's a fact. And so regardless of what you're doing, I just always admire people who come and do their version of it. Not to push, but to do their version. Because I think people bringing their own f- flair and flavor and ideas into country music is what actually makes it great. New ways to hear stories. Yeah. And, and, and I think... The people that, what I love, I love this sometimes. It's, it's happened to me after shows where people are like, I don't like the type of music that you're doing, but I like the energy that you're doing it with. And I like what you're bringing to the table. Is that intent? Are you happy with them? Cause that's I'm intent. happy with okay. that because of the intent. And because ultimately, as you said, man, you know, or, or the sentiment of what you're saying, art is interpretive. So I don't need every person to resonate with the art that I make. I need the people that my art is intended for to resonate with it. And then anyone outside of that, it, you know, it's art. What's it like growing up with parents who are ministers? Is it, I don't it's, know, do you feel like you have to be good all the time? Uh, and, I, and I don't mean like yeah. performing at a high no, level. No, I, mean I like know, a you good like kid, a good, good person. Kid. Uh, I definitely think that there are some values that that they instilled in me, but they've also always had the perspective that I am going to do what I'm going to do. And all they could do is try to set me up with all of the necessary mental and emotional spiritual tools to be able to do them well. Were you allowed secular music? And growing up, not so much, but as I got older, I started to discover it and I was able to put them on to a lot of things that they had never heard. And I think they even had a perspective of secular music that was different than the the perspective that they have now, which is that not all secular music is Raising sex, drugs, and alcohol. You know, Wait, some, it's not. Oh, man, I, well, I I'm mean, out. you know, <laughs> some of it is, right? But, you know, I'm like, there's a lot of music that I think is pointing to the same type of message sure. that a lot of the gospel music that they were listening to and listened to is pointing toward, which is like, people should love each other at the core. People should try to help each other. There's music that speaks to that. And, and also recognizing that some music is literally medicine for people that there are songs that get people out of bed on a daily basis. And as I've explained what that looks like for a lot of different people to my parents, I think their perspective of secular versus Christian music has evolved. I saw you playing at stagecoach, which is a cool little situation. We've played it before. 
and it's a long ways out there. Yeah. That's the part. That's the bad part because it took forever to get there. Yes. Fly to LAX, you mm-hmm. drive forever, and it's hot as uh, hot. But then it's cool. Yes. And it's a fun experience, and it's a it. It's like uh, the culture here meets the culture there. Yeah. It's a cool little hybrid. Definitely. Uh, but then you have to get back, and it sucks. But yeah. other than that, I saw you, and I think you were playing strawberry wine. Right? Was that you playing strawberry wine? At, um, at Stagecoach? Stagecoach? Yeah. I didn't play strawberry wine at Stagecoach. Were you I, play- was that on your Instagram? I ended up having to cut a bit of, I had to cut that song from my set because we were running a little late. Were you playing a rehearsal? Somewhere I saw a clip. Yeah. Maybe somebody recorded you. But then, you- I, it might have been in Napa a couple days before that. Okay, pro- maybe. Probably. If you were in California, yes. that's probably what I yes. thought it was. Yeah. But it was a couple days before Stagecoach, but yes. That's a song that I think everybody, everywhere goes, oh, I like, I like this person. It doesn't matter who, Sam would sing it too. For sure. Because even the people that were at festivals, I think that maybe were like, I don't like the Sam Hunt guy. Yeah. And he would he'd go, you know, like, oh, okay, well, this one I can get down with. And they would, For sure. That's a good one to, do you feel that like sometimes, like if you're playing a, an environment where people may not know you. Yeah. Is that a good go-to to kind of have people go, all right. Yeah, I think it helps to know your audience and to know what your audience might want to hear or what they're familiar with and, um, that's a cover that I actually put out like six months ago and I've had a chance to sing it with Dina a few times. She's awesome, right? She's, she's just a, the best, just a sweetheart. Yeah. And, um, you know, I think for a lot of, I've played that song even for audiences that aren't country just cause I, I love the song, but I do know when I play it for, especially an older, more traditional crowd, they can usually get down with that. But also I usually do a little bit cause I have a song out with, with Nelly called high horse and, Going into High Horse, I'll play a few snippets of some Nelly hits, and people usually can get down with that too, even in like rural Alabama. You like know, Electric Cowboy, that's what they played. Nelly, I'm telling you, and then Brooks and Dunn, yeah, and then Flo Rida, yeah. And, uh, you you know. can you can get you can win over a crowd quickly, and also like regardless, I've, I've had. I'm not even going to do the name drop, but no, someone I encourage you. Not going to do it. Uh-huh. <laughs> Somebody in country music that we all respect told me that the audience's experience, regardless of how much talent you have, regardless of what type of music you're playing, the audience's experience is a direct reflection of your own. Dirks? It wasn't Dirks. It was Garth. I was gonna, I have a Garth one too. That's it crazy. Was Garth. I was going to bring it up a second ago where I was, and we opened for Garth a couple weeks ago, which is yeah, an amazing. I saw. And he's the best and I love him. Yeah. And he's way nicer and way more generous than he should be. Not that any human shouldn't be generous, but, but he's think, he goes over and above absolutely. what you would even expect of someone at that level. I mean, just a little side peel off. He told me we're about to do our deal, and he goes, Hey, if you want to take over the whole stage, do it. Run all around. There has never been a headliner that's like, We're going to turn all the lights on and you can have the whole stage. Yep. And he's like, Have at it. But he's told me before when talking about country music, because I always like to hear people talk about what they think it is. Yeah. What they think country music is, um, because generationally it, it's all different. But, you know, to hear him talk about how he wasn't country music to people when he can't, he, he wasn't. That's why country. I mentioned that. Yeah. And then two nights ago, he's got 110,000 people packed into a stadium in Louisiana. Yep. And they sing a country song so loud that it registers as an earthquake. I mean, that's what happened. Garthquake. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so, you know, as we talk about music and interpretation and progression, yeah. and I see what you're doing, and not per- I don't even think it's a purposeful thing where you're like, I'm going to make things progress. No. Tell me if I'm wrong. No, I feel it's, like not, going, it's not like that. I'm doing me. Yeah, and, I'm doing and me. My and my interpretation. I, I know that 
because it is not traditional, it is progressive. Right, finger quotes. You know, it, but I also just think that when people come see me live, it usually changes their perspective of what it is that I do. You have an album coming out cross country, right? I do. So, it's coming out later this summer. What What will that be? So cross country is literally any music that sits at the intersection of country and another genre. So every song on there is country and something. Country and rock, country and gospel, country and uh, hip-hop, country and R&B, country and pop. We're, we're playing around with what that is. And then there's some a couple songs on there that are just a little bit more traditionally country. Uh, but I wanted to be able to put a project together that was reflective of all the music that I like to listen to. And I've always wished that there were more there was more music at the intersection of country and other things because you have intersection of you could have Dua Lipa and Lil Baby or the Baby on a song, and it's totally normal. But if the Baby were on a country song, people would be like, "What's going on here? I don't understand it." And I'm like, "Well, why? You know, why? Why is that?" So I wanted to just make some music that I feel like there's something for everyone on this project. I love every song on the project. We have a few really cool collabs on there. A couple songs that are already out that people have heard. Praise the Lord will be on there. Throw it back will be on there. Um, but of all the new music, it all sounds entirely different. And we came at it from a pure place of creativity. We've had a lot of duds that, you know, anytime you're like mixing things together and trying to change up, you know, the formula of even how you create songs and get out of your comfort zone, you're going to, you're going to miss a lot. And, those are some of my favorite moments in this album process is the misses, the songs that the songs that suck, you know, because they all taught us enough things that when we got to the songs that we loved, we were using those problem solving tactics and deductive reasoning to be like, okay, let's not try this. Let's not try this. Okay, let's try this. And then we land on something great. Those are the songs that have made the project. Anyone say yes to work with you that you were surprised they said yes? Hmm. Um, well, yeah, I, I can tell you this weekend I'm going, when does this air? This weekend? Friday, yeah. Yeah, Friday. Yeah, well. You don't have, you, you, yeah, don't, I, you well, don't say it. You can just, if you want, go for I'll it. I'll just say, like, I don't know how many country artists Pharrell has worked with, but this weekend I'm down in, in Miami working on some stuff with Pharrell, and I'm excited. That was one that really surprised me that, that he was For you or for him? For me. Really? Yeah. And he, he had some songs in mind and wanted to cook up. I'm curious, whenever you get into a room, if you write with, let's remove Pharrell from this, you just write him up, but let's say you and Keith. You guys ever sit in a room together, one-one, and write? Yeah. Okay. Because he's an instrumentalist, so. Is that intimidating for you, though, to go one-one with Keith Urban, or is that, I don't know, I'm not going to put it is in it, Is words. it, in, no, I would say. What, what, is your, what is your feeling when yeah. you sit and Keith Urban's four feet in front of you and you're creating yeah. together? My feeling is. I know that he's really good at what he does and I feel like I'm really good at what I do and I believe in the power of collaboration and, and fusion and creative experimentation. So I'm sure whatever we come up with is going to be dope. Do you watch his face or watch his body language to see if he's really feeling yeah. what you're giving him? Definitely. I, I read everything. But I also, not not from a perspective of like, oh, I hope Keith likes it, but... Just from a, we're making something and I want us to both feel proud of it, regardless of who that person is. I come into every write, even if it's with a totally new writer who just moved to town 
you know, it's like, I, I want to make sure that we feel good about this because we're spending time and everyone's time is valuable. And, you know, you're not always going to land on something that you love, but I at least want to love the way that we went about trying to get there. In every pair of Tacova's boots, you can expect handmade quality, first wear comfort, and timeless Western style. A great pair of Western boots will elevate a casual look or add a refined flair that'll draw both eyes and compliments. Tacova's boots are always made from premium bovine and exotic leathers, and with occasional resoling, they'll last a lifetime. The best way to shop for boots is at your local Tacova store, where you'll be greeted by the smell of fresh leather and a friendly smile. Come on in, grab a cold one, get fitted by a pro, and shop the latest styles. They offer custom branding and leather stamping if you want to personalize your boots or fine leather goods. And stay cool in short-sleeve moisture-wicking pearl snap or make your own shade with one of their classic straw hats, new in both men's and women's styles. And if you're planning to hit the road, Tacova's ever-growing lineup of rugged and full-grain leather bags will get you where you're headed in style and are built to last decades. Visit Tacovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. Tacovas.com. And don't go gently, y'all. Willie Nelson, Waylon Jennings, Chris Christopherson, how do the biggest names in outlaw country start a musical revolution? Through one woman's vision from one tiny living room. Don't miss Mandy Moore as Sue Brewer in the new scripted Audible original, The Boar's Nest, Sue Brewer and the Birth of Outlaw Country Music. Discover the true untold story of the extraordinary woman behind the outlaw country music movement and its biggest stars. Brewer shaped the sound and soul of country music as we know it today, despite never picking up an instrument herself. Lovingly dubbed as The Boar's Nest, Sue's place was an intimate staging ground where a new breed of singer-songwriters, wounded souls, wayward upstarts, that's where they would spur each other and tap into something bigger and something realer. Starring Mandy Moore and featuring Eben Moss Backrack as Shel Silverstein and TJ Osborne as Johnny Cash alongside a full ensemble cast. Audible invites you to enter the boar's nest and experience the rise of a musical revolution. One woman, one time, one place. The boar's nest. Sue Brewer and the birth of outlaw country music. Listen now at audible.com slash the boar's nest. Want to play a little bit of beers on me? This is yeah, your first number one. Congratulations. Yes, sir. Thank, Thank you, man. Swing on by, bring whatever's been on your mind. Locals on tap and bottles on ice. Living on feel-good standard time. My card's on the bar. You got nowhere to be. Where did the relationship with Dirks come in? How did how'd that happen? It was a random text, dude. He sent me a text and he was like, hey man, it's Dirks Bentley, country singer. I was like, <laughs> literally exactly what he said. I was like, bro, you don't, you don't have to do that. Um, but, you know, he, he was like, I've, I worked on this song with a couple guys. Hardy's on it right now. Uh, you know, I'd love to send it over and see what you think. And I was like, yes, yes, I'm interested. I'm, you know, pulled up at the studio. It might have been that night or maybe it was the next night. And um, I, I wrote my verse really fast. Um, not intentionally to be fast. It just came to me really quickly. And, um laid it down and it the energy in the room felt right and we got a chance to chat and connect and um he had spent some time in, in high school in new jersey where i'm from and uh you know just getting to know each other and i didn't know what was going to happen with the song you know i've made music with a lot of people that never comes out and that's just the nature of the game you make a lot of music some of it sees the light of day some of it doesn't um i didn't know he was going to make it a single i didn't know he was going to make it the name of his tour i didn't know he was going to bring me out on the road all of that happened once the song... Yeah, that was my next of, question about being on the road with them. Yeah. 
did that happen before it was a single? No. Was I, it announced as a single? It's like, come out, you need to come out open, and then we can also do it together? Yeah, it was... I, I, don't, I don't know if it was whether it was announced as a single. Well, once we knew that it was going to be coming out... Um, he had a couple opening slots before his tour fully kicked off. And he's like, it's the beers on me tour. Like, you know, come on out and, and play. But at that time, because I started putting music out right before the pandemic and was new to artistry in that capacity, I hadn't performed as Breland performing any original music ever, you know? And so the third show that I ever played was with Dirks up in Canandaigua, New York and thousands of people there. And I was like, what? <laughs> like what? Like, you know what I mean? I've literally, this is the third show I've ever played. And, and you know, I'm on the road with Dirks. Like, it's, it was a really cool opportunity for him to bring me out there and to take that chance because he's never seen me play. He had no idea what I was going to bring to the table. But after we did the first show, he was like, we we're only supposed to do two. And after those first two, he was like, dude, we got to get you out for more. And literally just, like, created space in the middle of his set for me to be able to come out and do a couple songs. And we ended up playing, like, 15 shows together and... Uh, form a really great relationship he's just i think what i really love about the artists in country music is that they're all really good people i you know at least in my experience of the people that i'm that word all around but yes i agree generally so of the people that i've met (laughs) of the people that i've met and, and collaborated with i've been really fortunate to experience them all as being great people and he's a great one I mean, he's like the greatest. Yeah, we've talked about some of the great, like Garth is Dirks is like just there, and and yeah. Keith as well. You know, yes, these the, I've one. I've just been a really fortunate and blessed to form relationships with people in country music that want to see the next generation win. And I think sometimes there's a thing that happens, not just in country, but in in the world, where generationally the people who hold the keys to the thing don't want to hand them over, don't want to create space for the next generation because they feel like it's going to be at their peril, you know, at their expense. And all of these guys have been so comfortable and confident collaborating with younger artists and up-and-coming artists and playing shows with them and, and putting them on records at radio. And they don't have to do that, you know, but it shows where they are and, and, and where their heads are. Again, that's that's an abundance mindset for me of like, there's enough space for me to continue doing what I'm doing and to help create space for this person who's doing something that I value or think is cool. Yeah, everybody can eat. Everybody can eat. Everybody can eat. Uh, here is Praise the Lord featuring Thomas Rhett. This is your current single. So you guys played this the ACMs, the ACMs, yeah, right? At the ACMs, all the all the lettered shows start to they do. There's a blur. lot, of, and they all have a C in it. Yeah, they, yeah, you yeah. know, some of them have an so, M. It's know, a lot, and, and some of them have rejected me as host, and some have agreed for me to host and fired me last minute. So I get them confused. Have you, know? you hosted any of them? Listen, it's a long story, my friend, and not one for this. <laughs> not one for this right now. I got you, word. Uh, so yeah, we played uh, it at the ACMs. Pray, pray, yeah. So what? What's been the response? to the the single it's been incredible dude i mean out of all the music that i've put out this has literally had the the best response of anything in in a a short amount of time you know it's i don't know 40 million streams and 
less than two months. So it's, it's I mean, really cool to see how people are responding to it. And I, I kind of suspected that would be the case because I'd been playing it live uh, pretty much all summer and fall and in all of my live shows. It's been the song that even though it's not out, people respond really well to. Um, you know, I think it falls right at that intersection of like country and gospel in a way that the, the both the, the lyric of it and the performance of it, I think black people, white people, old, young can all vibe to it. So, you know, I think it's very, it's more universal than some of the stuff that I've made. So I think the accessibility of the song is probably what's the energy of it is what, what makes people respond to it. You guys follow Breland at Breland, B-R-E-L-A-N-D. Uh, vacation there if you have some time this summer. Yeah, Here's yeah. A- Spend some time in yeah, Breland. Yeah, Got some great Airbnbs on no, the water. No COVID there. No, no, it's, dude. It's just great. That's awesome. Yeah, good for them. Good for <laughs> Breland. Um, and I'd like to apologize because I'm sweating my balls off. We are. It's, and, it and, is hot in here. Well, I we walked. I don't know if the air is out. I don't know what the situation is. But when you walked in, I was like, hey, sorry. We got here a few minutes earlier because this is not the main house. We have the studio set up over here. And I, as we've been going, have been thinking, well, uh, Breland's in a jacket. Yeah. He's got on a, a winter coat. So he's sweating. But um, this has been, I, listen, I, I love talking with you. Thanks, just, man. Uh, I mean, just just so refreshing. To, just your perspective is refreshing. Thanks, bro. Like, I just feel like yelling, praise the Lord. Yeah, It's in me. It's there in it me is. Now. You got me. it. Uh, yeah, I, I appreciate your attitude. I, I, and I think that's it. I think that's what it is. I was trying to boil it down to what it is that I think I like about you. And a lot of people make really good music. And a lot of people have a good message. And a lot of, this is a place where the, the best come. It's the land of giants. That's true. A lot of great people have been on this show. But I think it's just your attitude. Thanks, man. It resonates. And I'm, like I said earlier, I'm jaded as can freaking be at this point. Dude. Well, welcome, welcome back. If I was able to pull you back even a little <laughs> okay. bit, restore right. your faith in, in whatever it is. Feel good about humans. Yeah, I just want you to feel All better right. about, about humankind, right. Bobby. I didn't That's... trust anybody again until about an hour ago. you got ago. about 5% back, yeah. bro. I'm uh, happy. All right, you guys follow Breland uh, on all the stuff, and just let us know when the record comes out. You know, we'll have, when the record comes out yeah. this summer, whenever that is, because we'll have this. This is an hour long, and we'll use it on all kinds of stuff. We'll yeah. just, this will be a full thing. We'll put parts of this on the radio show. We'll put parts of this on the countdown. Yeah. But when you get ready, come up to the radio show and come play for that. Yeah. We'll do it. Let's do it. We'll get the. I do just, it proper. But if you come in with a different attitude, I may not do it. So I'm just warning yeah. you. If you're a different person, dude, come if, this summer, if putting it's out over. the project has changed everything about me, then no, you should not have me on the okay. show. <laughs> uh, you guys follow Breland. And be waiting for the record and check out Praise the Lord with Thomas Rhett. Congrats on Beers on Me. And Thank I'll, you, I'll bro. See you, I'll see you soon. See you soon. Right.